Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Thank you very much for being here. For being here, you can be seated. Sometimes in Pentecostal churches, we stand a long time and we we sing, we sing a lot, and then at the conclusion of services, we stand again. And depending on who the fellow is behind the podium, determines how long you're going to stand then. And some guys, they have you stand when they still got 30 minutes of wind left. So we stand, we stand a lot, and I, I don't want to make you stand unnecessarily. So I, I want to thank you for your participation, the men that came Friday night, the ladies that came Saturday morning. It was one degree when I left my hotel room yesterday morning. And then I drove up here and all these ladies, we had had a, a very good group of ladies. And it was it was a a tremendous and and I know we always we 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 add all these adjectives to services about how great they were. But sometimes they really are great. And most of the time they're probably not. Because in America, we're good with adjectives. Oh, we're good with it. This is the only country in the world that can have an awesome bowl of soup. Everything is awesome nowadays. Have you noticed the use of that word? Yes, I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again. Not because I'm old, but because I'm not stupid. It, we, we just use the word so much Oh, it was awesome. How did you like that warm day? Oh, wasn't this an awesome day? Boy, the the food over at Applebee's today was not bad. Oh, it was awesome. What a misuse of words. Everything's not awesome. It's just not. You know, when people tell you, oh, you're awesome today, you really aren't. Awesome is a, a word that actually was attributed when it was first created, it was a a contribution of praise to God. It was the word that had no description. It went beyond everything. If if you remember, I used to tell my grandkids, I've got a lot of those, and I'd always tell them I love you, and they'd say, I love you more. And I said, No, you don't. I love you from here to Los Angeles. And They'd start trying to compete with me. They didn't know any of the states at that time, you know. So, they'd so one day my little grandson, one of them, uh, he would always it became a thing between us. And I said, "I love you from here, all the way to the other side of the world." He said, "I love you even further than that." And I said, "Well, I love you even further than that." Well, you know, you can go on a while with that. Finally, one day he came in. He said. I love you from here to infinity. And I thought somebody's been talking to him. (laughs) He dug up a word that I have no answer for. 
because infinity is endless. And so we, we sometimes use these words to describe things, but when you make reference to awesome, that's the, about the highest you can go. It was awesome. And, and this isn't a word lecture, but every hamburger is not awesome. It's good. Man, that was a good burger today, but it wasn't awesome. In fact, I don't put awesome on anything except him. He is awesome. He's beyond comparison. There, there's no one to compare him to. He is awesome. And because he lives inside of people, people can become awesome. As long as they serve him and put him first, there is a new church starting up in your area. And they are renting the hotel where I'm at. And I went in this morning and saw that they have a, quite a congregation coming into the meeting room there. And they've got their sign out in the hallway. And I didn't know they were here until this morning. And so I decided that next Sunday morning, I think I'm going to attend their service. And uh, yes, party crasher. It's called, uh, I didn't think I would forget that name. It was some kind of a river, river of faith, the river of faith church. We've got lots of, have you noticed nowadays how we name churches? You know, Church of the Cool Chili Waters. The river of everlasting life. And all these names that we give to churches to attract people. We're trying to get a catchphrase. A catchphrase. That's a good game if you've never played it. Catchphrase. We use phrases to get the attention of people. And then we try to set up churches with gigs and gimmicks and and something that no one else has so that we can attract a crowd. And pretty soon they move out of the hotel meeting rooms and they buy land. And a lot of these massive places that you see, they started in places like that. You started in that kind of a surrounding. You, you started, I think, in your home. And you, you, you build from there. There's a church on every corner in America now. We have so many churches that... I don't even know how many there are. At one, one count, there were 250,000. And so there, there's churches everywhere. Anybody that says, well, I'd like to go to church, but there's no place to go. That's like saying I'd like a hamburger, but I can't find a McDonald's. They're, they're everywhere. And when you get there, most of them are disappointing. And it's not because we're criticizing them. It's just simply because their focus is not really on Jesus Christ. And if your focus is not on Jesus Christ, then you, you really have a problem. You're, you're kind of wasting your time. We are the most egotistical nation on earth. We are driven by ego. We, we do things out of, out of an egotistical attitude instead of doing it with a humble attitude. Jesus Christ was the God of humility and we've become the nation of pride and our pride drives us. It, 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 it affects the way we dress, the, the cars we drive. We, we buy cars when we don't need cars. We buy new homes when we don't need homes. 
We, we buy new shoes when the old ones work fine. I mean, shoes, it, it's not really what they look like. It's, it's how they feel. You ever notice that these guys up here when they, that work outside, you know, I've been listening to my, my boy Jacob here. He's been telling me about how cold it's been down there on top of that building when it was 10 below zero and the wind's blowing. He's on the 14th floor in the open air. He said, Papa, he said, it's, it, I feel like I'm dying up there. Well, I would have already died. But we, we, we say, but you ever notice how they dress when you work, go by the job site? You ever notice that? They're wearing clothes that don't match. They don't care. They want to be warm. That, that's all they seek is warmth. They've got things pulled down over their heads and their eyes. They don't care what they look like. They, they don't shave. They, they, they look scruffy. They don't care. Because everything that they have, they're using it. They're utilizing its, its benefits to stay warm and so on and so forth. And when they say, I've got a work truck, and the work truck, is, is, it looks like a piece of junk. And they're using it to go back and forth to work. What, what am I saying here? I'm simply saying that they care about getting from point A to point B, and they care about utilizing the benefits of the clothing and the shoes to sustain them. But when we start, if, if, if they said, I can't wear this to work, God, it doesn't match. Well, I'm not going to wear a coat today. I have nothing that matches this. It's a thousand below zero outside, but I have nothing that matches. So I can't wear it. How ridiculous is that? Yet we're doing that very thing in America. We think that we have to match we have to look right. We have to have the best of this, the best. I'm not eating in that restaurant. That's a dump. I'm not going to buy stuff from Walmart. It's junk. Nobody shops at Walmart but trash. Thank you. I appreciate that compliment. Folks, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. He's coming. We sang that song, Hallelujah. Do you know what that word means? It means I give all to Jehovah. So when you're saying hallelujah, or you say hallelujah, we say it out of repetition. Hallelujah. We say it when we're preaching, and it becomes a filler word for a sermon. And preacher get up and preach a sermon, and, and, and he says hallelujah 45, 50, 60 times. Hallelujah. But hallelujah actually has meaning. It was a song of praise. It was a word of praise in Scripture. And if Jehovah has become our salvation and the name of Jesus Christ means that Jehovah has become our salvation and then we say, I give all to Jehovah, we're saying, Jesus, everything we have, it's yours. You own everything we have. It's yours. We give it to you today. And when we walk in this building, we're not here because it's another Sunday morning. Let's get it on the calendar. Let's get her done and go do what it is we got to do. We're coming here out of honor we're coming here because we're blessed. We're coming here because we have, a, we have a privilege of walking into a building and calling on the greatest name to ever fall out of a mortal's mouth. Jesus Christ, I love you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I give you everything, God. I'm holding nothing back. It's all yours. I give you everything. And if you can't give him anything, everything, really, you're not giving him anything. He doesn't take partial packages. 
There are no half-breeds in the kingdom of God. They don't exist. You're either in or you're not in. And when you're here and you know that you're not in, you should be working to get in. And if you're not working to get in, you're wasting your time. Because God will never drop his standard of living and his standard of praise and his standard of worship to meet what you are. You're going to have to bring yourself up to where he is. You have to keep stepping up, up, up until you get where he is and be what he wants you to be. That's the simplicity of serving God. I brought some pictures and I hope that they're able to find them. I wanted them to put them up for me this morning. If you found those pictures, if you would put them on the big screen, I'd appreciate it. I, I said something a few weeks ago and it, it struck up a little bit of a, of a firestorm. That's my new home in case you're... I've been using these offerings to try and put something together for my wife and I. And I said something about being driven by ego. And then I made a statement that that started a little bit of a firestorm. I said, do you know what ego is? Ego is the anesthetic that eases the pain of stupidity. Ego is the anesthetic that eases the pain of stupidity. Because anything that's driven by ego does not benefit the kingdom of God, nor does it benefit you spiritually. It just doesn't do it. This, and I wish the picture were better, but on the big screen, it loses some of its resolution. On the smaller screen, you can see it back there. It looks much better. You're welcome to turn and look at the better picture. That's what it really looks like. Now, that is an island. The man that built this house, he built his own island. And then behind it, there's a little bridge that you can go over to get to this, to this beautiful home. And he, he, it's, it's nothing but a lake home. That's all it is. He built an island and a lake home. And I, I, I've seen this house many, many times. It happens to be about five minutes from my place. So that proves to you that you can have poverty and wealth in the same neighborhood. You know, there, I can find this, I can Google this and pull up pictures of that. But nobody's running Google to pull up a picture of my mobile home because they're not interested. There's nobody that's saying, gosh, Boy, I wish I could get a mobile home like East has. Man, have you been in that place? It's awesome. (laughs) Nobody's saying that. But this place here now, that's an incredible home. Do you know that there is nobody on earth that needs a home like that? No one. No one. I don't care who he is. There's no one on earth that needs a home like that. Now, they may want a home like that. And what we do is we find a way to say, well, you know, I deserve this because of all I've done and all I've accomplished. Really? Really? And I deserve, you know, I deserve a nice car. Well, I'm I'm driving today 
a loaner car that someone gives me to drive when I come up here. It's a 2000 Explorer. And I have to start it about four o'clock in the morning so that when I get ready to come to church, it will be warm enough for me to get into it. And remarkably, it has gotten me every place I need to go. Everywhere. And, and I pass up Mercedes. I mean, it'll run good. I pass up a Mercedes. I've even passed up a Bentley. And I can go the same place they're going, get there just as quick for less money. It's kind of like that Miller beer commercial they came out with so many years ago. They had to have some way to make their beer better beer, if there can be good beer. And they said, it's less filling. Like the fat guy cares. It's less filling. So they catch a crazy. So this is what ego does for you. This is where it takes you. The second picture. Ah, now everybody should have a car like that. You can't see it good in there, but it's good back here. I'm looking, I, I got a good look at it. That is an Aston Martin. $3.4 million for that car. And... You see these guys driving these kind of cars. There's no room for anybody but him and a small person to ride around in it. They have to park at the back of the parking lot so nobody opens the door to scratch it. But they drive around for what reason? It doesn't ride any better than my Toyota or Honda. So what would be the reason they needed that car? What would drive them? Ego. They're egotistical. They want to look like somebody. It makes them look cool. I went into a store with a friend of mine one day and he owned a large automobile dealership in Austin and he, he's got million, millions, literally millions of dollars. He's probably worth $100 million. And we had kind of grown up together and uh, it's like, you know, this, the poor guy and the rich guy being together. And so one day he said, I got to stop downtown at the men's store. Well, for me, the men's store was wherever the sale was. But we went into a men's store that he wanted to go into called Reynolds Penland. That was the name of it. And they measure you and make your suit and they make your shirt. Everything is custom. They make everything for your body to where when you bend, you're going to feel just like you want to feel. Everything is, it was custom. They paid a fortune for a suit like that. Why? Because it made them look good. Now, I've rattled on about this for 10 minutes. What is the purpose of all of that? It's made to make me look good. And that's all I care about. But there's something far better than that. There's something better than, than houses and vacation places and, and beautiful cars. This past year, history has made, been made in America. This, this election was historical, and, and I'm, I'm, this is not a promotion for anybody. But it's amazing that a man unqualified, totally unqualified to be the president of the United States, won the election. He was unqualified by everybody's standards. But he, he picked up on something, and he made this statement, and America bought into his statement. He said, let's make America great again. 
You know, the only thing I hate about that statement is that I didn't come up with it. He said, let's make America. He lost every debate they had. Oh, I know they said he won. He won, but he didn't win on substance. He won because he was tougher than they were. And he wasn't a hypocrite like they were. And so out of 17 candidates, this guy, it's like going to a horse race. I've been to a horse race and they got this one horse that that looks like it hasn't eaten in six months. The bones are showing. And somehow that horse comes from the field of 17 and passes everybody up and wins the race. That happens on occasion, very rare. And that's kind of what happened in this election. Where did this guy come from? Well, what are his qualifications? Well, he owns a casino. Well, that's not really a good qualification. He has has a reality show. That's not really real good either. He's friends with Oprah Winfrey. That's real bad. But he brought a message that resonated with Americans because for the last 20 years, we've been in the toilet. And Americans had reached a point to where they said, hey, it's going to have to, we're going to have to die to get better with this. And so this guy comes along, the most unqualified guy in the field. And he says, let's make America great again. And the way to do it is for me to drain the swamp. I tell you, this is really good. He said, I've got to get rid of all this junk so that these people can see what is happening. They've been blinded by something that's not real. Now let's focus on the church for a moment. It appears as if over a period of time, that church, it should be not as the world goes, so goes the church. It should be as the church goes, so goes the world. They were accused of something in the book of Acts that said that those that have turned the world upside down have come down hither also. Now they are down here. I don't remember in a lot of years the church being accused of such a thing. That we are turning the world upside down. That is exactly what God intended for us to do. It's to turn the world upside down. Everywhere we go, we are supposed to have impact. Everywhere we put our foot, we're supposed to make a difference. We're not evangelizing the world in America. The world has evangelized us. We're not having the world change to be part of Jesus Christ's church. We've tried to make Jesus Christ like them so that they would be comfortable and they would blend in. People are looking for some place that they can bring their life, their habits, and their problems and fit them in to an arena where they don't belong. Instead of saying, God, I want to get out of the swamp. Now, I actually have a thought. I truly have a thought. The Bible is very clear on one thing, heaven. When Jesus Christ ascended, he ascended up. And the angels that were standing there, they said, you men of Galilee, because the the, the disciples were all there and they're they're, they're dumbfounded. They're watching him just lift up into heaven and and he's about to disappear somewhere into another atmosphere they know nothing about. 
And so the angels that are standing there, they said, you men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go up into heaven. Now that's a far-fetched seeming story about today's standards. But I want to tell you, I've got some good news. Jesus Christ is coming back from heaven. And when he comes, he is not coming as everybody's friend. He is not coming as the peaceful, loving, agape Jesus. He's coming back as the judge and the receiver of the body of Christ that belongs to him to take them out of this world that has corrupted everything it touched. He's going to get those that have died in the past, those that are living right now, and those that are ready to go. He's taking them away from all of this. That is an event that's going to happen. And maybe sooner than we think. But what is heaven? Put my other picture up there, brother. What is heaven? Can you imagine a place like this? You can't see it good up there. But here I can see it. That, that down on the bottom, that shiny area right there. That's a, a winding road. I don't know who drew this picture, painted it. It was a pretty good depiction, the best I could find. And that is a, a road that's paved with gold because the book of Revelation clearly says that it would be paved with gold. Streets that are paved with gold. There would be walls. They'd be of jasper. There'd be gates of pearl and, and the most beautiful place you could ever imagine. You can't imagine. And everything in there would be good. There would be no need for the sun and up here, y'all pray for the sun. And there was no need for the sun because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb were the light thereof. Never would need anything else. Imagine nobody with any disabilities. Nobody that had to wear glasses. Nobody that, that had to have a brace or a crutch. No wheelchairs. There would be no need for a sign, somebody to do sign language to tell the, those that are impaired with hearing. It would be no need of any of that. Because everybody will be well. Everybody will be good. Nobody's going to be mad. There won't be any disagreements. It is a place of abundance. It is a place where everybody would love to go. But we don't understand that if you want that lake home that I showed a moment ago, the first question that comes out of your mouth is, what will it cost me? If you want the Aston Martin, what will it cost me? Well, let me tell you something. There's a price tag here too. What will it cost me? They may get away for 3.4 million and the house is worth about 10 million. But when you come to this city, if you're gonna go there, it will cost you everything. You can't hold anything back. It will cost you everything, but it will be the greatest investment that you have ever made in your life. It will give you the best return that you ever imagined. Four hundred one ks in two thousand two thousand seventeen. Some of them got as much as ninety four percent return. That's unheard of. It's unheard of. The stock market set all time records in its history. In its history, the stock it just it just catapulted. It went crazy. The unemployment rate is at a seventeen year low. 
17 years low. Can you imagine? I mean, the, the country has made a turn. And, you know, Obama says, well, it's because of all the things that I put in place when I was in office. Then the Trump camp says, well, it's because Donald Trump is in, has become president and he, he did this and he did that. But the truth is, neither of them can take credit for it. Let me tell you what caused it. One man, one man in this sense, I'll give him credit. None of the rest of it I will. But one man said, let's make America great again. And that one catchphrase triggered something in the American people. And all at once they started thinking, hey, we can win. We can be great again. There is something alive in us. And it triggered our emotions to the point people started investing. They started spending. They started buying. They started building. And they did something on their own that they haven't done in decades. They believed in themselves. This is good, man. Trump ought to hear this. Somebody send him a tape. I'll tweet when I'm done. He didn't cause it. Obama didn't cause it. Bush didn't cause it. You caused it. You did. The American people rallied to a cause. That's all. We thought we can do this. Did you know that religious liberty is at an all-time high in my lifetime right now? We have more religious liberty than we've ever had in my lifetime. We have the ability, we can endorse candidates from the pulpit. Nobody's going to bother us. How about that? We did it in 2017. I was doing it 15 years ago. And, and we, you know, we, we never got, they didn't, the government didn't sue us. Did you know that in the, in, since 2000, 2008, in that eight-year period, that there were more churches seized by the federal government than at any time in the history of the United States of America? Churches. Prior to 2008, only two churches had ever been seized by the government. From 2008 to 2016, over 200 churches were seized by the federal government for whatever violation they could find. Some lost everything. The entire churches were sold to pay some sort of a tax that they didn't know or for whatever reason. Because the mindset of America was, we're done. There's no more Christianity. This is no longer a Christian nation. We were told that. We were made to believe that. I do believe it is not a Christian nation, but I believe that the Christian principles still exist within America. And I believe that the church in America is strong enough that regardless of the number against us, Jesus Christ is for us. And that makes us the majority. Christian principles actually work. You can build anything you want to on Christian principles. You can be an atheist and build something on Christian principles and it will succeed. Why? Because it's encapsulated by honesty and virtue. The the things people are looking for. They don't exhibit them, but they're looking for them. You know, you'll hear a guy like some millionaire that has cheated everybody that ever come along, you'll hear him say, I don't have no time for a thief. I don't like a liar. You ever heard that? How many people say that? And they lie and cheat. Yeah, they lie and cheat. It's kind of like all the politicians in Washington are against taxes. 
all of them. Everyone in Washington, all of the 745 men and women that rule America, the Supreme Court justices, nine of them, the president, the Oval Office, 435 congressmen, 100 senators, all of those guys get together. They make all the rules. They call all the shots. All of them say taxes are horrible. We should not have taxes. Why do we have taxes then? Why are we taxed? 57% of everything you earn goes to a tax. Why? They're all against it. The things they campaign for after they get elected, they do the very things they campaigned against. And they feather their nest. There are no congressmen that are not millionaires. That's what we have faced in America. And to the point now, we thought it's a curse, we're sunk, it's unfair, it's, it's wrong, it's persecution for the church. No, it's a wake-up call for the church. We're not the world. We don't belong in the world. We have nothing in common with the world. We don't want to be like the world. Hollywood don't belong in our homes. We don't need all of that junk. What we need is a revival of the Pentecostal message that was birthed on the day of Pentecost and a Pentecostal experience that was birthed on that same hour to where people received a born again experience and built their life around that experience and did not allow the world to come in and steal the very thing that saved them. You don't need another building. You don't need another preacher. What you need to do is go back to where you were the last time that you felt the presence of God. Yesterday, I told the ladies here, I said, God is not the author of confusion. That's what the Bible says. God is not the author of confusion. But I'll tell you what author he is. He is the finisher, the author and the finisher of your faith. He is that author. He's not the author of confusion. He's the author and the finisher of your faith. Those are the two things he authored. And an author is the only person that can change a book. No one else has the right to do that. Anything that confuses you, stop, back up, put it in reverse. Don't go forward, back up and go back where the confusion started and don't take that road again because God's not in that. He's not the author of confusion. God doesn't want you confused. He wants you set free. He wants you delivered. He wants you full of his presence. He wants you to be happy. He wants you to have joy and peace. This is the joy that God spoke about. This is the everlasting joy. But you control it. You do. Not me. You. Here's my slogan. Yes, I plagiarized. I'm guilty. And I don't care. Let's make the church great again. Let's make the church great again. Let's, let's make it what we thought it was with the first time we ever came here. I'll tell you one thing. When God found you, you was in the gutter. And ever since he found us, it seems like we've been trying to get back to the gutter. But we're trying to make the gutter a good place. It's all right to be in the gutter now. I didn't know then what I know now. No, it's not all right to be in the gutter. God got you out of the gutter. God delivered you from that. God doesn't want you to go back to that. He brought you out. You can't bring your gutter habits into the church of Jesus Christ. 
It requires change, but the change is healthy. The change is profitable. It's a good change. God wants you to be different. Here today in this church, I listened to them saying, I, I, I love this thing and the songs this morning were great. Everything was good this morning. What a good presence of the Lord. I, at times I wanted to laugh, but I wanted to cry as well. And I thought, God, I want to feel that all the time. I don't want to just come here to feel that. I want to be able to feel it in my room. I want to feel it in the car. I want to feel it on the job. Wherever I'm at, God, I want to feel that presence. And people say, well, that's why we have church, so we can go there and be fed. No, babies come to church to get fed. Grown people pack lunches. Prepared from food we have at... Prepared from food we have at home. Stuff that we have there. If I've got to depend on this to get me through, I'm, 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 I'm going to be among men most miserable. But if I bring it with me, if I come here and bring that food, that spiritual food with me that I've had at home all week long, then everybody around me becomes part of the same diet and everybody's thinking the same thing. Ladies and gentlemen, we don't need any more monkey shine. We need a move of God. We need something that's sincere, something that's apostolic, something that's supernatural, something that didn't come from hell, it came from heaven. We need something that will change our lives. Aren't you tired of being mad at somebody all the time? Aren't you tired of arguing? Trying to figure out, ladies, we talked about this, men, we talked about this in these meetings, competing with each other. Who's right? Who's wrong? Every one of us have a role to play. And if we don't play our role, you can forget that picture of where'd my heaven go? Put my heaven back up there. You can forget that if you can't play your role down here. Pastor Kylie, I don't do this often. I charge you by the mercies of God to preach the word to be instant in season and out of season. Preach without fear of retribution. Don't worry about retirement anymore. Don't worry about tomorrow, worry about today. Preach like a man on fire. Preach like a man on a mission. If it offends them, so be it. They'll get unoffended or they'll be lost. You give them the truth. If the truth hurts them, don't take it personally. It's not you they're mad at, they're mad at God. You do what God called you to do and if they don't follow, it's on their head. It's not on yours. No blood will be on your hands. You give them your best right now. From now on, whether it's another six months, a year, or ten years, whatever it is, you give them the utmost that you have inside of you and don't back up from nobody and fear no man or no woman and do not let finances dictate who you are. Yes. Yes. I absolutely do not care how much money you have or how much you put into the church treasury. That does not dictate what this church is. God is able to do abundantly above anything that we can think or ask. God wants to do it. He does not need our money. This ought to be not a church in Oconomowoc. This ought to be the church in Oconomowoc. 
the church. I'm tired of people telling me. Uh, I, I even had a guy announce this a while back. He said, we're happy to have Brother East. He's, he's from the old school now. He was kind of feathering the pad there. I'm going to tell you ahead of time. He's from the old school. I got tired of hearing that. So when I got up, I said, I want to correct what pastor said. I don't like to do that publicly, but I think it demands it today. I am not from the old school. I'm from the only school. I'm from the only school. There is no old school and new school. There's one school. Its professor is Jesus Christ. He's the builder. He's the maker. He's the one that put it together. It's built on his principles. It's built on his love, not mine. It's built on his ideology, not mine. It's built on his ideas, not mine. Everything I've told you today is true. You cannot deny that. You can leave here and go say, ah, too much politics, hogwash. Well, I don't believe you should mix politics with religion. I'd like to know how you divide them. That's what I'd like to know. I mean, in the Revolutionary War, in the first big battle, the guy that was riding out in the front on a horse, he had on a black robe. You know why he was wearing a black robe? Because he was the preacher. He wasn't carrying a weapon, but he said, I may not carry a weapon, but I'll lead you to fight for freedom. I'll lead you to stand up for what this country's being built on, the principles of God. So it was the preacher that was leading him and they formed a regiment called the Black Robe Regiment. Today, the preachers are wearing yellow robes. Well, I can build it up and kill it just that quick. What color is that coat? You know, I'm colorblind. I just looked at him. I said, man, I hope that coat's not yellow. (laughs) Folks, everything today in America, including in the church, we want it microwaved. It's artificial. We're looking for a gimmick. We want the hot to go. No rules. No borders. No commitment, no questions, no oversight, no boss. We don't want nobody to tell us what to do. Not in America. We say he puts his feet, puts his pants on just like I do, one leg at a time. Boy, what a profound statement. What a profound statement. You know, in my lifetime, I've never seen one person in 72 years, I've never seen a man get up and take his pants and, and put them on some hangers or something and stand them out there so that they're standing up and him climb up in the balcony and jump out into them. Of course, we're all human beings, every single one of us, but God has endowed us with something he didn't give everybody on the planet. He's given us a spirit. He's given us something that the world has no idea what it is, but we understand it. We know what it is because we read about it in his book and then many of us experienced it on our own. I will not trade my place with the richest man on earth. I don't care how much money they're worth. The Beatles were right. Money cannot buy you love. It cannot buy you love. If you do not have Jesus Christ in your life, I'm telling you that your life has no meaning. You have no future. Jesus Christ, if he's not in it, it has, it has no point. If he's not the center, and, 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 and 
Sister Matt, the Matson girl, I saw her here a while ago. She must have went out. They sang, there she is. They sang that song at a wedding, your wedding, about Jesus be the center of my life. You have any idea the value of that song and what a great job they did with it? I've been singing it ever since. I've had people sing it for me when I was preaching. Jesus be the center of my life. Why? Because if he's not the center of your life, he's not in your life. If he's not your all, he's not with you. You can't have part of Jesus. You can't divide and take the part that you want from him. You can't have part of the fruit of the spirit. You've got to have the whole package. There are nine spiritual gifts. We have to have these things in order to function. The church is only in failure when it does not have the fruit of the spirit and the gifts of the spirit in operation. And you cannot have the fruit of the spirit and the gifts of the spirit if you don't have the spirit. I mean, it's kind of a, a lame, lame thing there that if the spirit's not there, then you can't have the fruit of the spirit. When we receive the Spirit, that means that the fruit of the Spirit is supposed to be born in us. If not, then we're just like everybody else. Looking for a place on Sunday to give our time. Pay our dues. Well, I went to church this morning. I feel better now. I'm going to go home and watch a football game. And we go on living the life that we had the way we want to. All week long until Wednesday. And sometimes we miss that just because, you know, I don't feel good. Felt good enough to go to work. Didn't feel good enough to come to church. I I got something else planned. Everything that we do that we don't have to and put it before God is driven by our ego. Are you egotistical? Every one of us are. Who controls that? We do. We do. So we have to change it. All of this is based on four principles. Beginning, the beginning of life, and then life itself, and then death, and then life again. Because everybody gets eternal life. It's where you spend it that matters. Everybody gets eternal life. It's not a question whether you're going to hear it. I, I, I actually used to sing. Now I know that's hard to believe. But I used to sing and write songs. I've written probably 15 or 20 songs. And way back, 30, 40 years ago, Kenny Rogers, somebody I don't like, wrote a song called The Gambler. And in that song, he has some lyrics that are are incredible. Now, I want to bring this to a close. And I don't want to be funny. But he has some lyrics in there. I used to have a business in Las Vegas. Yes, I did. I, I know, it's terrible. I'm sorry. Actually, Las Vegas is no worse than Milwaukee. And in Las Vegas, if, if you lived there, they had what's known as the locals. And you'd go into certain hotels and casinos and it would be a lot of locals in there because the locals knew where the machines were the loose. They knew where the best poker games were. They knew all that stuff. So I, uh, I, I, I gambled a lot, a lot, a whole lot, too much. And I, I played poker. I'm not proud of this. I'm telling it to make the point. I played poker with the best poker players in the world. Literally, best poker players in the world. I was a good poker player. That's why when I have a fundraiser, (laughs) it's fun. And 
I would play poker and there was, there were certain terminologies that were used when you played poker. First of all, they tell you to bet. That's important. You bet. And so you bet what you think you can afford to bet. But when you run out of money, the money that's on the table, you always had chips showing. And when you run out of money and you're in, involved in a critical hand and you've bet everything you have, but the guy that's betting against you, he's still betting and you can't compete with that. What they do then is isolate that amount of money that's in the center of the table. And this guy can win what's there because they call him all in. That's what that means. Those of you that are smiling, I know why. You're all in. And so we would, we'd be playing and sometimes there's thousands of dollars. You know, in a, in a big poker game, there could be thousands of dollars. And I can remember, I don't think I, I ever personally had to be all in in one of those big games. But I can remember a lot of times that somebody else would say, I'm all in. That meant he had given everything he had. Can I tell you that when Kenny Rogers wrote this song, even though the song wasn't that great, it was like a sermon to me. Because in the lyrics, he says, you've got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them, know when to walk away, and know when to run. You never count your money while you're sitting at the table. There'll be time enough for counting when the dealing's done. And I used to sing that song. I, I, I even recorded it. I mean, I, I went down, I actually had myself recorded singing that song. It sounded pretty good. I thought I did it better than he did. <laughs> and I realized one day, you know, years later, that the real gamblers are not in Las Vegas or Atlantic City or on a cruise ship where you can gamble and nobody knows it. <laughs> Any cruisers here? No? And so I realized the gamblers aren't really in Las Vegas. In fact, the gamblers are here on this pew today. We're the real gamblers. Because we come to church and we're betting that Jesus won't come today, that Jesus is not going to kill us today, and that we can get by with the things we're doing and nothing's going to happen. That's what we're gambling on. And then hope that we win. And another line we have in the church is we say, I'm doing everything I can to serve the Lord. Really? Then you're all in. Now, when you're all in, that means everything. You don't have nothing left. It's empty. It's gone. Nothing, it's nothing left. I don't have nothing else to give. So I, I would like to ask, are you all in today? You that are here, are you all in? Or are you just saying that you're all in when you really aren't? You're betting in a very dangerous game. The great lie that was told to Adam and Eve, and we discussed this over the weekend. For those of you that weren't here, I'll say it again. The great lie that perpetuated what happened in the garden was this. The devil made Eve and Adam believe that they could sin without punishment. That's, that's what took place in the garden. He made them believe that they could sin without being punished. They learned differently. You cannot sin against God without punishment. If you don't make it right, rest assured, retribution is coming. It will come. It will happen. And it'll happen at a time that you least expect. 
but it will come. That's not a fear. That's not a fear tactic. That's just a truth tactic. That's going to happen. So today, we're still in January. I mean, this is only the second. Is this the second Sunday in January or the third? Whatever it is, we're in the early part of the year. It's too late for a New Year's resolution. I don't believe in them anyway. But it's not too late for you to make a commitment. Because a commitment and a resolution is not the same thing. A commitment is something that you make voluntarily. And you make it and you keep it. Kind of like when you got married. You made a commitment. Is this your wife? How long? 20 years. So 20 years ago, you committed to her. Still keeping your commitment. That's the kind of commitments Jesus wants from us. One that we're going to keep. Not something we're going to forget about in a few days and go do what we were doing before, but something we're going to keep. The time, the time for playing with the, what we call the church has passed. Now it's time to be serious. And you have to decide where you want to go, how you want to spend eternity. And if you're not ready to do that, I fear for you. And what better time now? We're so busy being mad at each other and doing things that we shouldn't do and having this against that one and that against this one. And I don't like him. He don't like me. I don't like that one over there. Boy, I I can't stand up. From that side to this side, this place needs to be cleaned out today and get rid of all the stuff because you think you're the only one knows about it and it's not hurting nobody. You're sadly mistaken. At Ai, when the Israelites were sent to this little bitty place of Ai, wasn't as big as Oconomowoc. And they had 150, 200,000 soldiers. And they said, we got to go to that, that little bitty place that has about two or 3,000 soldiers. We've got to go over there and destroy that. So Joshua says, hey, I'll just send a handful over here to take care of it. But when they went over there, they got whipped, man. They got whipped bad. And they came back crying, telling Joshua, God's not with us. And, and Joshua went and fell down on his knees and started screaming at God, saying, oh, God, help us, help us, help us. And God said, I can't help you. You've got to help yourself. Joshua said, why? What do I do? What's wrong? He said, you got sin in the camp. And you've got to get rid of the sin. He said, I don't know about no sin. What he did not know, that one person in that millions of Israelites, two and a half million to three million Israelites, that one of them has stolen some silver and a Babylonian garment and buried it in his tent. He buried that little bit of stuff in his tent. And as a result, you think God's not particular? Out of all those millions of people, one guy. And God said, that's why several of you were killed in that battle today. That's why you lost that battle. Your camp is not clean. So when you think you're not affecting nobody but you, you're wrong. You're affecting the whole camp. So everybody has to come to repentance. Everybody has to come to repentance. You look at yourself, what is repentance? It's you, it's a very simple thing. Repentance is very simple. It's you stop being who you are right now and start being what God created you to be. That's what repentance is. It's just be stop what you are and become what you're supposed to be. We start over here and we go all the way across the building and everybody throws their junk away. Everybody gets rid of all the stuff that's holding them back, all of their anger, all of the, I'm mad at this guy. Well, you don't know what they did. I don't care what they did to you. I truly don't. I'm not being, I'm not being mean to you. I'm simply saying, I don't care what they did to you. I know what they did to Jesus Christ and nothing like that has ever happened to any of you. 
and from the cross without anybody asking him for forgiveness or without anybody telling him they're sorry. He looked at those same people that murdered him and he said, God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. It's time for forgiveness. Brother Kylie, the best is yet to come, but we control it. We do. No one else. We control it. You can bring in the best speaker in the world. A lot of them much better than me. You can go get them. You have to pay more for them. You go get them guys and bring them over and you think that'll be, be, make the difference. No, you make the difference. That's why that guy won the election. He stirred up the people to believing in themselves. I'm not asking you to do something you can't do. I'm asking you to do something you can do. If it's you, if you're having trouble in your marriage, today's a good day. Tell your wife, I'm sorry, I love you. Well, and if you're a good wife, you'll say, I forgive you without question and vice versa, husband, wife. If you're friends, if you've got a friend in this building, look, I, I'm, I'm gonna tell you, I'm getting too old just to drive around all over the country and fly all over the country and preach at churches because I ain't got nothing else to do. I'd like to be home with my family. So I don't, I don't wanna play. Get rid of everything in your life that doesn't belong. Start today. What if he came today? What if this was the day? And if it's not the day, how about this Azusa thing we talk about all the time? The miracles, the signs, the wonders, the dead being raised, the deaf being, having their, their hearing. Und- how about, wouldn't it be nice that if I could come in here and see Nail one day, and I always do the same thing. I've done this for 12 years now. And she comes to me, she came to me this morning and did this and spoke to me and lip read what I said. Wouldn't it be nice if she didn't have to read my lips? Wouldn't it be nice if she didn't have to do that? She could just open her arms and say, I love you, Brother East. Why is Tina in a wheelchair? Why is cancer killing all of our people? Well, we'll have a prayer request. We'll have a prayer chain. Why don't we have a change in us? Maybe we've got something buried inside our tent that we need to get out. Maybe that's why your family can't get right. Maybe that's why things aren't working on your job. Maybe things in your life aren't working. Maybe you can't keep your business together. Maybe it's because something's buried in your tent and you won't get it out. I got feelings against somebody. Some of you live on anger you've had for 15, 20 years. Carry it around with you in your wallet. Oh, let me get this out. I ain't been mad at nobody today. Let me go back and remember. I got it wrote down. Oh yeah, he did it. He did it. One lady told me one day, she said, you have no idea what they did to me. Because I walked up to her in an audience like this and I said, you got baggage in your life, lady. She said, yeah. She said, you don't know what's been done to me. Pointed her finger at me. I didn't know her. I'd never seen her before in my life. Never been in that church. She said, you don't know what's been done to me. I said, oh, really? Treated bad? She said, ha, if you only knew. I said, well, did they pull your hair out? She said, well, No. I said, did, they, did they, they spit on you and strip you naked in front of thousands of people? She said, no, nothing like that. I said, did they drive a spike in your hand or through your feet? Did they drag you to a hill and kill you and thrust the spear into your side? She said, no, no, they didn't do any of that. I turned around and walked off, left her sitting there. I got about halfway to the front of the church, church nearly as big as this one. And I got about halfway to the front. She screamed like a panther. And I turned around and looked. She was running toward me and she was screaming, I've got baggage in my life, help me. 12 years ago, 
I preached in this very service, sir, this pulpit right here. I preached to all of you that are here that have baggage in your life. It's time to get rid of that baggage. You may not remember it. I remember, go back and look through your archives. And I invited you to come down to this altar and leave your baggage right here. Get rid of all your junk. You say, man, you sound like, like you're very serious. I'm very serious. I'm very serious. Because I'm tired of cancer winning the battle. I'm tired of all these diseases winning the battle. I'm tired of people coming to be prayed for and nothing happening when the Bible clearly says it should be happening. I'm tired of being the devil's football. I'm tired of being a preacher that makes people shout and run the aisles and then when they get home, they don't know why they did it. Would you stand please? You're not gonna live forever. None of us are. You may be tall, you may be strong, but you're not going to live forever. Young men die just like old men. Sometimes dying is better than what happens to us when we reach a point to where we've cast God aside and can't get back to him. The door we always thought would be open somehow closed. The opportunity of a lifetime passed us by just because we couldn't make our mind up. There's nothing to make your mind up to. This is not a plea to join a church. It's not a plea if you're a guest here. It's not a plea for you to come down and join this church and become part of this congregation. It's a plea for you to set your house in order, make your life what it's supposed to be. Quit hiding things. Dig up the trash that's in your background and get rid of it. Quit being mad at people. Quit having problems. Quit having bad relationships because it affects more than it does you. It affects everybody. That's why fasting and prayer is essential. It makes you see yourself for what you are. It humbles you. I don't want to be that guy. I want to be the guy that said, Lord, doesn't matter, God. If I don't have all the things that I want, I've got my bucket list. Oh, I don't want my children to have to grow up like I did. I don't want them not to. I want them to have all the things I never had. Yeah, too many of us, we got our wish. We gave them all the things we didn't have and then we lost them. They walked away because they liked the things better than they liked God. Everything matters in the kingdom of God. Everything. Everything matters. Hallelujah. 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 That song, I give all to Jehovah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. What a commitment. You don't even have to say nothing. You don't have to do anything. Anybody can say hallelujah. I give all to Jehovah. All to Jehovah. Can you do that truthfully? Can you say, I give you all? I'm all in. I'm all in. Well, maybe you're not ready to say you're all in. So let me go back to the other thing. Could I get you to place a bet? You never had an altar call like this in your life, I understand. Would you like to place a bet?
That's a start. Because if I can get you to start betting, you'll reach a point to where you're going to get all in when you see how valuable the hand is. Can I get you in the game? Can I get you in the game? One of the things my son said to me before he died that hurt me more than anything else. He said, Dad, I want to live. I'll never forget that. I want to live. Would you like to live? I don't mean here necessarily, but forever. Would you like to live? Is this not worth living for? Is this worth living for? Is there anybody that would like to live? Anybody? Anybody? I want to live. God, I want to be better. I want to do better, God. I want this church to flourish. I want this building to be full. Not so we can have numbers. But God, this community is our obligation. Every person in Oconomowoc, Wisconsin needs God. Every single one. Your children, your grandchildren, some of you great-grandchildren. You may be the only link they have. What are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with that? Only you know how much you're doing, how much you're giving. Only you know that. I don't know it. How much of yourself are you giving and how much are you holding back? I can tell you that Jesus Christ is not interested in how much you're giving as he is to how much you're holding back. Jesus be the center of my life. Jesus be the center of my life. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.